off the ball. GAA. I just ran and I ran and I ran. How long did that last? Months? My whole career. Right. Yeah, I did a massive chip on my shoulder. Right. Off the ball. Join in the obsession. Subscribe now at offtheball.com forward slash join. The Koi Gig Pod on Off The Ball in association with Cadbury, official snack partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Katie McCabe, a huge, huge goal. I'm very proud of the team's performance. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Koi Gig Podcast. I'm Kathleen McNamee and this week I am joined by PMount's one and only Karen Duggan and our new Becoming friend of the podcast, I'm sure we used it the last couple of weeks. Girls on the ball, Rachel O'Sullivan. Uh, guys, how are we feeling? How are we doing? Rachel, you're not in as quite fancy surroundings as you were the last time we were talking to you, although we do spy some England jerseys in the background there. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, no, I'm not. I'm uh, back in England again, no longer in the, the fancy streets of Paris, I'm afraid. Did you have a nice experience jaunting around Europe for the couple of days? Yeah, well, the first part of it was good. We were meant to go to Germany and then uh, they cancelled our flight. So it was um, kind of half of what we expected, but it was all right. We got home early, so I can't complain. Uh, I was wondering, because I saw on your Instagram that you were obviously in Paris and then you'd said you were going to Germany and then I didn't see anything about it. And I was like, I wonder, did they actually make it or not? That's what happened. <laughs> and there Down was my airlines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karen, you're filling the, the swanky side of things this week since you were chilling with the president. Not right now, as you can see, like, the background. <laughs> not <laughs> right now. But yeah, I had a So that's not what the inside of Oris on Uchtron looks no, like. No, this is not the inside of Oris. Um, somewhat more refined, the inside of Oris. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, we had the kind of media build up for the President's Cup because obviously the, the men's kicks off next week um, and then the women's is the first week in March yeah so it was it was pretty nice had a cup of tea with Michael D himself so wow take that on a Tuesday morning <laughs> most important question did you get to see the dogs no so this is what we found out Mishnok is a he's a COVID dog he's not the most sociable so, but he's getting better apparently okay. but wasn't up for us today, unfortunately, which was, you know, it was a big disappointment, but I suppose the actual president himself will have to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. You are a bit of a rowdy bunch, so I don't know if you'd want to put one Not today. That. Not today. Um, no. <laughs> different, different side of me today. I, would, I, I very much wish I was there just to see you, like, sitting politely at a table beside the president, just kind of, like, sipping on a tiny cup of tea, being yeah. like, oh, this is a new no, one. That's it. You know what? Not, you know I'm being extra polite. Is like they had, like they offered food, and I said no. I would never say no oh, in wow. circumstances. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just in case the president asks you a question, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how are you feeling in the run up to the actual game itself? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a nice um, game, I think, because it kind of gives you a gauge of where you are as you head into the season. Obviously, you're up against last year's cup winners. Um, Athlone won this last year. It's their second year in a row in it. Um, and it's nice to be competing for silverware straight off the bat. You know, you kind of hope that winning becomes a, a habit. But it's, yeah, like I said, it's it's a reward for all of the work and effort you put in into achieving what you did the previous season. So yeah, it's, lo- it's lovely to be part of, but um, 
yeah, it's, it is a showpiece, you know, as well at the same time, like we won't let it dictate our whole season. But it is good, as you say, to have that opportunity to get a bit of silverware straight off the bat. And I suppose, Rachel, as well, like having competitions like that gives a more opportunity to showcase players that are here in Ireland and also more opportunities for players to going into the league to get the opportunity to showcase themselves, you know, to say, put their hand up and be like, I've worked really hard in preseason and this is what I can do in a game that does actually have something at the end of it. Yeah, like, as you say, you said it's about kind of gauging where you are, but also for the team themselves, gauging where players are in the lead up to the the season as well. So yeah, it's a it's a good yeah good opportunity. And as you say, I think starting the season with a bit of silver is always a a good way of doing it too, right? Yeah, because a lot of the preseason yeah, games play you are rotating because you want to try new things and you want to you know just give everyone match time so that they're they're getting up to the pace but then this is like a oh this is my starting 11 let's see how they get on and if not we've a week to change things <laughs> so let's see how that goes uh, I wish there's loads of time loads and loads yeah, of time once it doesn't go to penalties down in Athlone again sweet yeah I don't think we want to traumatise you quite so early in the season with penalties before yeah. the league has actually started itself exactly. Yeah. Um, well, since we've last recorded, we have announced another game for the upcoming February international window. And this one is in the lovely city of Florence against Italy. Rachel, this is kind of the sort of fixture, I think, that maybe we were hoping would come in that it's a bit closer to the challenge that we think this team needs if they are going to go into league A and do something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, there there aren't a lot of teams available right now because there's so many other bits going on whether it's you know trying to be promoted or trying to prevent relegation or whether it's the you know the top four battling it out for to win the nation's league so you know top opposition was going to be difficult to come by and you've got everyone in America involved in in their cup as well so yeah Italy's a good one Italy's a, a, a funny team I feel like never quite achieved what they could but can then like turn around and overachieve in a match. Do you know what I mean? They're a bit of a, a weird team to kind of gauge. Um, they've got some good quality in there, but then like I remember watching them get absolutely battered by France um, in the Euros and you're like, what the hell's going on? So it's a, it's a tough one to kind of gauge how they'll do, to be totally honest. That's how I felt whenever I saw it being announced. I was like, huh, Italy. This is definitely closer to what I expected than say Wales as an opponent, but also... As you say, they've been so inconsistent over the years. And even when you look at the development of the league itself in Italy, that has been so inconsistent over the years with some clubs flying ahead and other ones lagging behind. You know, we had Louise Quinn whenever she went from Arsenal over to Italy talking about like the completely different like access to facilities and access to training and access to physios or whatever it might be that she was used to. So... Yeah, it's a it's one that I hope is a good challenge for us, and I hope like the good Italy team turn up on the day, and the one that give us a bit of an opportunity to have a run out because I don't know if we're gonna get fully what we need just from the Wales game. Karen, I don't know what you think in terms of the two matches. Like, is there a good balance there between something that'll be a bit challenging and maybe something that's kind of alongside the. I don't want to say confidence boosters because like Wales could very easily beat us as well. They're- yeah, I, I actually do think it's a good balance. Um, I still think Italy are more developed than 
we are in a sense because their league is further along than we are. The last couple of times we've played them, they beat us or it was a draw. So it's a good kind of, I think it's a good litmus test to see if we have surpassed a team who we have been in and around for quite some time, whether we have actually kicked on. Okay, we made a major tournament. Italy were at the Euros and stuff as well. Like they, I wouldn't say that we're head and shoulders above them. I think we've got better players individually, but I think it would be, I think it's a really interesting matchup actually. Mm. Yeah, no, it's when I'm, looking forward to actually it's actually a game as well I'm going into looking forward to it as much to see how Italy have progressed and where they're at as much, whereas with the Welsh game I'm probably more interested solely just to see how we do and how we perform in that game um, some good news for Irish players over the weekend in terms of going into those international fixtures Izzy Atkinson getting her first goal in her appearance with Crystal Palace also played the full game uh, Hilly Nolan starting there too. We saw Jesse Stapleton starting for Reading. So we talked about this last week about how important it was for these players to be getting game time, Rachel, and straight off the back, you know, they're getting full games, they're getting goals. So a good start. Yeah, and important games as well in the in the championship, like for Reading. The championship this weekend was like mental. <laughs> it's wild. Every week someone's um, done something different like the top five are separated by five points and they just keep swapping places like it's mad to have a five horse race still like this mm-hmm. far into the season and then at the bottom you've got Watford beating Birmingham you know Michelle Aguimang is back for Watford which could be massive for them in terms of staying up so like the championship is where it's at because I think it's about eight points between sixth and bottom of the table and five points between top five like it's it's mad to think. And I was talking to Annabelle Johnson from Crystal Palace actually today. And she was kind of talking about the fact that it's, it's almost because no one is like really far and away running away with the league. No one's being consistent. Um, so not only are they getting game time, but they're like, they're important matches as well. Reading's trying to stay up because um, they're getting dragged down into the relegation battle and Crystal Palace are in and around that, that five horse race. Yeah. It's one of those leagues that you look at and you're like, almost I don't know does it need some sort of like playoff system or something just to like add so that a bit like the men's championship where you have that thing of that you can have a couple of teams up there kind of close into it but also you could be the team that come fifth or sixth and yet you're still the ones that are actually progressing so be very interested to see how that goes and see how all the Irish ones do um a couple of people were asking us during the week what the crack was of Grace Filoni she appeared again at the weekend she'd been injured um for anyone that was wondering about that just a quick run through some of the fixtures that are coming up this week. So Conti Cup tomorrow, we have London City Lionesses facing off against Arsenal, Chelsea Sunderland, Tottenham City is kind of probably the big name one. But Brighton, Austin Villa could be very interesting considering what those two are doing in the league at the moment and the fact that doing well in the cup. Or what they're not doing in the league. Yeah, what they're not doing in the league could yeah. become very, very important. And then, of course, we also had the Champions League draw um, on Tuesday. So that's SK Brand facing off against Barcelona, Ajax versus Chelsea, Benfica versus Lyon, and then Hacken versus PSG, which also means that Emma Hayes will have to go through either Brown or Barcelona if she gets past Ajax to make to Champions League final. So it, it's kind of written in the stars a little bit for Rachel, wasn't it? I feel like Wolfsburg used to be Chelsea's like bogey team of the Champions League where they would just always be drawn against them and Wolfsburg would just knock them out all the time. I feel like Barcelona has, has become that team now. Um, I guess 
some people are looking at it saying, you know, harder to beat Barcelona over two legs than it is one leg. I remember when Chelsea got to that final against Barcelona and I remember looking at it and thinking Chelsea actually needed a second leg because in every game up to that final, they improved in the second leg. They always played better in the second leg. And it was almost like they learned from the first leg and into the second, whereas they just had that one game in the final and bam, Barcelona just ran over them in about 20 minutes. Um, so actually, you know, should they beat Ajax? Both games, the second game is a home game which I think could be really beneficial for them because I'd rather it that way, stay in the tie in the first leg and then anything can happen at home. You're playing at Stamford Bridge. Um, but yeah, let's not get ahead of ourselves. They still have to to get past Ajax who got out of the hardest group in that. And I don't know if you're watching that last game unfold with Bayern at oh. one point at the top, then they were at the bottom, then they were third, then they were back top again and then they ended up out of the competition. It's wild. You might as well have just watched the table and not the football. Like, it was so entertaining. It was as good, yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly what we want from the Champions League, especially when, I suppose, for those who are more used to watching the English sides, only having Chelsea in it at the moment, some fans may have lost a bit of interest, but it just goes to show you that it is very much worth still paying attention. Um, So we are going to move on now to our team of the week. Emma Carroll is not with us tonight. She had uh, other... Very busy and important things to do. But she did send through a team. So I will run through it and then we can discuss it. So in goal, she has Liz Gop, then Hava Sissoka, Maya Letizia, and Alex Greenwood. She has Katrina Gari and Hanoka Hayashi in midfield. Gize, Aaron Cuthbert, and Nikita Par or sorry, and Riki. And then Nikita Paris and Vivian Issey up. Front, uh, Karen, thoughts? Yeah, I think that it was kind of as I expected, seeing a large West Ham contingency in there, and particularly um, seeing Hayashi and Gari. They bullied Arsenal, and it's it's not often you kind of say that um, about a team. But we were speaking about the inevitable upward trajectory that West Ham would go on because of the players they signed. I think Gary is typifying that. Um, she's a nightmare. She's everywhere. You know, she covers every blade of gas. So I, um, yeah, I expected to see her. Uh, I think this might be a first appearance in Team of the Week for Jay-Z because I think as a United fan, we've been waiting for her to really ignite um and Emma Byrne always said she is probably better coming in off the right um because she's not as natural a finisher and that's why as a United fan we were screaming out for a striker to be signed but Nikita Paris is obviously filling that role <laughs> I, I think it should be a temporary thing but she's been you can't argue with the stats she's put up in the last um little while so yeah, I can't really argue with too many. I think possibly do you fit another Chelsea person in there? Maybe Neve Charles, just considering how comprehensive they were. Um, also, we had a debut from Ramirez and she is terrifying. She's absolutely terrifying. So she could have been in with a shout, but um, I don't think you can take away from any of the West Ham people there. So I understand why they were left out. 
Yeah, I was reading a couple of pieces about her ahead of the weekend and the fact that she doesn't actually have any English. And Emma Hayes is like, it's all right, we all speak the language of football. And I was like, what does that mean in Emma Hayes' terms? You know, I'd love to see how those communications are going to go and develop. And when it is like properly established, the relationships that can be built on the pitch, obviously that takes time. And if the language barrier is there as well, it might take a little bit more time. I think it's very easy to play with someone who can skin players the way that she did down that right-hand side. She was, you know, she was leaving those Everton girls in her wake. Um, and then you've got players who can always finish at Chelsea. You know, they're always willing participants in the attack. Chelsea don't need to drag everyone back um, in the same way someone like United would. So they're always going to have players up there to support her. Definitely. Rachel, what about you? What were your thoughts? Um, well, I will say one thing about Ramirez is that the handy thing is that Emma Hayes speaks Spanish. So at least of all the people she needs to understand, at least the manager speaks Spanish. <laughs> and I can also confirm as a photographer sitting pitch side at Chelsea, having Myra Ramirez run at you at like 100 miles an hour is frightening. So I can only imagine if you're a defender and she's coming at you, if she doesn't get the ball past you, she's going to body you off it anyway. So yeah, she she made an incredible debut. I'd pretty happy you a helmet or something, right? Well, when you're on the side. you know, Sometimes with the very short sidelines, you'd kind of, it is a bit scary at times. Um, I'm pretty, like, I think that team is pretty good. I, probably the defence is the only area that I'm a bit like, eh, you know, Greenwood, Letizia. I know for Man United that Brighton had a couple of forays forward. They had two shots on target, but I think after like the 34th minute, that was the last time they had a shot on target. Um, Alex Greenwood, again, Leicester, did not look in any way really interested in actually attacking. They had no shots on target. Um, they created one chance. So my only thing would be how much really did Greenwood have to do? But, you know, maybe Natalie Bjorn or as you said, Neve Charles could maybe slot in there. But other than that, I thought Sissoko as well, another shout out for her. I thought she was excellent. Um, and her and Hayashi were probably players of the match for me, followed closely by Gori. I think she's really made a home for herself in West Ham. She looks like she's been there forever. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think Asai, I know she got the penalty, but actually her defensive work after they went ahead was so important to West Ham actually keeping that lead because once they went ahead, she was able to drop a little bit deeper and provide that support. So yeah, it was, that's uh, I think, yeah, Jay-Z and Paris, really nice partnership, you know, forming between them as well. As you said, something that maybe United have been missing um, this season. So yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty good team. I think cop and goal. Who knew, like, Willie Kirk's brought in another unbelievable goalkeeper. Like, the I think two of them. missed his calling. <laughs> like, you know, I thought Emma Hayes, like, loved all the goalkeepers. But actually, Willie Kirk's good at doing a pretty good job of bringing in some top goalkeepers. So, yeah, she's been great. Mm. I saw a couple of pieces of after the weekend, Rachel speculating about Nikita Paris and whether she'd kind of put her hand up for England contention again, having been kind of on the outskirts of it for a while. Obviously, it's such a strong team. It's really, really difficult to kind of worm your way in there. And Serena Wiegmann is very strong on who she likes in her team. But is there any, do you think there is any sort of merit to her being a consideration after her last couple of games? Yeah, I think some of the problems that England have had in the past is putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, they've dominated games and not been able to score. They need someone in that role to be able to finish. Nikita Paris is doing that right now. She's doing it better arguably say than Alessia Russo now I know Alessia Russo does an awful lot more off the ball and does a lot of her own work setting up other players but you know that competition could be useful I think she'll take a bigger squad I think she's she's gotten this reputation for not rotating because she doesn't rotate a lot in major tournaments which is kind of understandable but I think she has I've been to kind of friendly games 
um, where she's brought in young players. She's given young players chances and, and play them in friendly games. There was a November camp in 2022 where there was a whole heap of new faces in. So I think you've got to remember she's been around in a time where she hasn't had like a summer off. Like she's had mm. two major tournaments back to back. It's very hard for it to do a lot of rotation in those windows. And now with the Nations League, every game is a must win. It makes it even harder to be like, well, I want to rotate players, but if we lose, then it could be my neck on the line. Do you know that kind of way? So yeah. um, I think hopefully we'll see some rotation in these in- international break, given they are friendlies. And yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Keats got another call in. Like to have that experience, she's not some young player who hasn't played in the Lionesses before, you know, so she could offer something a little bit different perhaps. Yeah, I think it'd be really interesting. The thing that always shocks me whenever I see her, whenever meeting her in a, a elevator in Wembley, is just how small she is. Like she has, <laughs> but like the power, like she's just, she has that real stance where I'm like, I feel like if I tried to knock you over, I would not be able to, but also <laughs> I'm small and you're small. And like, it's just so impressive how like fast you're able to run up and down the pitch. Um, Karen, a word for Sissoko, because we have actually talked quite a lot about her on the podcast before and just... Sometimes the chaos that she brings, other times the moments of sheer absolute brilliance. And you'd say that the weekend had to go down in the latter category. Yeah, I mean, we love her on the podcast because she gives us talking points. Um, (laughs) But in a game like that where, you know, Arsenal were peppering the penalty area for her not to give away a penalty is nearly as impressive as her goal, um, which she took like a seasoned striker, you know, left foot, didn't think about it. Obviously, questions over the the goalkeeper, but not to take away from it. And um, yeah, she's she's brilliant. She's like a character, and that's what you need. You need that in your team, and especially West Ham have had to dig themselves out now over the last couple of weeks to get out of that uh, relegation battle. And yeah, everyone's pulling for it, and she she kind of spearheaded that from the back, and obviously popping up with the goal. And I I want more chaos, but it's great for the chaos to be uh, at the in the other opposition box for for one week. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, didn't enjoy that game at all. Sunday was a very conflicting day all around for me. <laughs> didn't know how to feel. Upset to pure relation to something in between by the end of it. Um, well. Since she's not here, I will hope, and I assume she listens back, she generally does, but thank you to Emma Carroll for her team of the week. Very much appreciated. And as always, very good. We'll stick it up on our socials as well. So anyone listening, if you want to have any thoughts or comments about it, you can get them into us or maybe you think we're missing someone. Not a lot of Irish bias this week in the team. So maybe that's what you're going to see um, from Emma. Now we are going to look at some of the games that did happen over the weekend. And there is only really one place to start. And that is with the chaos of... Arsenal basically uh, handing the title race to either City or Chelsea and being like, here you go, lads, go fight it out. We're um, out. Yeah, we're out of this. So that makes it three games that they haven't won uh, in this season, which is generally you have only teams that have won two games or lost two games, sorry, in a season have ever gone on to win the league. Um, some really interesting quotes from Jonas Edeval after the game. Uh, he was doing media today ahead of the Conti Cup and Ars blog and Tim Stillman had done this kind of analysis of how Arsenal dealt with like the defensive block that West Ham had put in and Tim basically put it to Jonas Eideval and was like, look, it just seems that Arsenal are really risk adverse, that you're not trying to break it down, that you're not taking these chances when they come and instead you're playing the safe passes. 
And it was interesting because your side of Al was kind of like, I'm questioning myself now that I'm agreeing with journalists. Um, but he also said that he totally agreed with it. Um, so we, we try too few high risk, high reward passes in the game. There is always a balance in that. How much of a direct opportunistic team do you want to be? How much control are you looking for? Strange comments, Karen, from a man who's like leading some of the best players in the world to hopefully a league title. You know, you think you would have the faith in there to be in control, but also take those risky passes or just be able to break down a defensive block? Yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems like like admitting that they're too structured is a very strange thing for a manager to do when you have players who have plenty of skill and flair. It, I don't... I, I, unless the girls are afraid of him and to break his patterns of play, I, I just found it strange and I can't imagine that girls of that level would be afraid to play their own game. I, I don't know. The comments seem at contrast with everything that they should be as Arsenal Football Club. I just, I didn't understand them, really. Rachel, did you have any thoughts on them? I think tactically Arsenal struggle with the back five or a low block. like, And that's surely going to be something a manager should be able to figure out. That's because personnel, I think. Then you go for pace and width and yeah. crosses in the box and at the start of the season they were doing too many crosses into the box to no one and now, uh, now they're not crossing it. Like they lack um, the creativity they were lacking but also the um, problem solving on the pitch like they seem to really struggle and maybe that like you say like it's almost like they need to be told what to do when I mean, you've got so many good players That doesn't happen when Kim Little is playing I don't know No, that's a good shout actually and, and I just felt like sometimes it's a bit like they've too many forwards or attacking minded players all in the box and it gets really congested and they like, they just, they, it drives me mental. These are one meter passes to each other back and forth. And you're like, you're not creating any space doing that because you're all so close to each other that that's not like moving defenders really. And then when they do strike, there's like three defenders in front. The amount of times they, they took a shot on goal from the box, just outside the box with like four defenders in front of them. You know, there's that kind of, I don't know. Like you say, it's it's an unusual kind of issue for players of that quality to be they having. Commit, I think they commit too many bodies forward and close down their own space. Like you have to drag a team out. It requires a lot of patience and it can be very frustrating. But yeah, I think they played into West Ham's hands a little bit and other teams 100%. learned from that. Yeah, and like West Ham in the second half particularly, their press was really good. They gave very little like time on the ball and... It's frustrating to watch. If if you're sitting there going, I can see kind of what the issues are. You wonder why the players aren't going. We're creating too much like congestion. We need to say like get someone out wide, like you said, or Caitlin Ford going out wide, or whoever that might be. I thought the substitutions were unusual. Very early to take off both uh, Beth Mead and Miedema. I appreciate that. Like it maybe it wasn't working, but Miedema had probably come closest the most out of them and is generally the kind of creative player to play that through ball or see see an opportunity. So I thought that was unusual. I thought even they looked kind of surprised and it was a very early substitution to be making. It was a, it was an early time to kind of roll the dice, I think, and I'm not sure it really worked. This is something that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit in terms of like Jonas Edeval and the choices that he makes and the way the team follows it. And is there a world where, you know, we say that there's a load of really high highly talented really impressive players in that team also a lot of strong personalities and that 
for a team like that to work, they need someone at the top who is feeding down this good information, but maybe he's not tactically telling them the things that they need. And as a result, like in terms of trying to balance both the the dynamics of the group and the dynamics of the team, maybe they're not also thinking about, well, this is how it is or isn't working on the pitch until a game like this comes around and then it just becomes so glaringly obvious that you literally can't avoid it because you've just thrown away your title race. Like, I mean, arguably you would say that Arsenal have the best players in the league, but they, I don't know, they, they it's hard to nail down what their style of play really is because it, I remember against Chelsea, it was so high energy, so brilliant. And then you've got a game like this where it's almost like they expect to win and they're like, oh God, what do we do? And then there's no one there that really takes the game by the scruff of the neck, like Kim Little or a Katie McCabe would do. We spoke about Katie getting her yellow card so that she wouldn't miss the United game as what happened last year. And Obviously, that has backfired as well. So it's about having leaders on the pitch who can bring everyone together and get that energy out of them. And you'd have to wonder why they don't have that. I think that's a dressing room thing. I don't. It's nothing to do, for me, the talent on the pitch. I think it's a dressing room thing. I think as well, like sometimes I, I, I look at it and think tactically he's got something quite wrong. Mm. But then other times he will absolutely tactically nail it. Like, and I think... I don't know what it is about. Like, he overthinks he plays, it. Does he overthink it? Maybe, or I think maybe it feels like that. Yeah. So I think sometimes he might struggle to change the game plan in the get in, in during yeah. the game. You know, you look at someone like a Serena Vigman who, in that World Cup final, went from three at the back to a four at the back. Like halfway through the game, she was willing to throw out what they would said they were going to do and completely change the approach. And I'm not sure Arsenal are very good at doing that. So if they've got something wrong tactically. Sometimes I think they struggle to then address it, say, in the second half. At halftime, they don't, you know, and maybe it's that because, but I'm a bit reluctant to say he's not tactically good because there are times where he, he really is really clever with his tactics and can outsmart very good managers. So it's a bit of a conundrum. I do agree with you on the in-game tactics thing. Like, I think even if you look at the champions league exit i think they really struggled then with changing things up during the game and being able to change things to a point where they were back in control it feels like once they lose control they really struggle with getting it back and i've never known if that's because they're too strict on the tactics or then if there's just not like the proper information being fed through the team of like okay well if this happens this is what we're going to swap and this is what it's going to look like and you know everyone is drilled and how it will happen we will see what comes i mean they do still have cup games and stuff, but obviously disappointing season, all things. A slim chance, yeah. I mean, if Emma Byrne has been saying since the start of the season that she thinks Arsenal are going to win the whole thing, so... Well, she definitely not said she said Chelsea today. wouldn't win. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, she's kind of been on the City bandwagon for the last while mm-hmm. in terms of what they've been showing. Um so yeah, we, we shall see. We shall see. Uh, move on quickly to Man United versus Brighton, partly because obviously we have our resident fan, but also Brighton, very strange week for them. Rachel, obviously the news last week that no one expected. I saw you on the podcast <laughs> not being very impressed with them sacking their manager in the fashion that they did or in the time that they did as well. 
absolutely raging. Like I literally just done a press conference that afternoon and then like four hours later she was sacked. And then they thought it'd be a good idea to get in the assistant, the assistant coach, no, the, the coach in their under 21's academy who'd literally been told probably the same time that she got sacked that he was now interim manager and that they do another press conference on Friday at half past midday. Like he hadn't even met all the players yet. I don't really know what they hope to achieve from doing that, but the poor guy was thrown under the bus, didn't really have any of the answers, but was the only person that people could ask questions of. Um, so yeah, it was very strange. In the job since April, um, Brighton were bottom of the table when she took over. They finished 11th, so avoided relegation. 11 new players in in the summer like to work with, to try and gel together, and effectively had about five months of this season. They were in 10th. They were two points off 7th. So it just like this, this, their statement saying, you know, the results didn't match our expectation and our investment. You don't just buy your way up the table. That's not how it works. It doesn't just happen. Like we've spent all this money. Therefore, now we're top half the table, you know. So it's the expectation versus reality thing that I think is quite frustrating because Brighton has always appeared to be a, a club that understood the long term project of women's football and that things don't just happen overnight. You're investing in the stadium. They're investing in facilities. If you want to be top four, you need to be investing in players on the pitch because that's what's ultimately going to get you there eventually, but not overnight, not in five months. I would I would love to know where the disconnect is within the women's side. Like even you see it on the men's side and they put so much into like young players and developing them. And there's almost like a an acknowledgement that, okay, these guys might only be with us for a couple of seasons, but we will get everything out of them for those couple of seasons. And well, our return on investment then whenever they go off will be brilliant. And then as you say, on the women's side, there's like, they've always seemed so good when it comes to investing in all the things except like properly given either the manager or the players on the pitch, the time to kind of bed in and adjust. And I just wanted, I'd love to know where the disconnect is between, I suppose the actual football and the vision that's there. Cause the vision seems so good. And like, I've seen some of the facilities and stuff and, you know, for a while they were actually kind of rivaling some of the top clubs in terms of the facilities that they were providing. So it seems very strange. It seemed a very cruel way to get rid of a manager one way or the other. I mean, at least give her the weekend and do it on Monday morning or something. But you've I got two know, cup games like, now as like, well. It's like it's the timing two, of it. is. And what's really frustrating is that when they played Manchester United in the reverse fixture, they should have won the match. They deserve to win the match. So, you know, people are trying to throw out the Man City game as an anomaly. That win doesn't count and... It does. Like, you know, I feel like people maybe haven't seen enough of Brighton this season because, yeah, we talk about their lack of goal expectation and stuff like that. And they've got the lowest in the league and they're conceding goals. But like they're playing some good football. They were developing a style. They were, you know, you listen to any of the managers talking about playing against Brighton and they will say they are really difficult to play. They make it they really tough They all say how difficult it is. You know, you can't just look at scores and be like, oh, it's yeah. 3-0. So they ran over them. You know, it's just, yeah, a bit frustrating, I think. I just hope others don't start following down that route. Yeah, I hope so. Because I would, I don't know, it just, it seems very counterproductive for a club that's had so many opportunities to make something good. Um, Manchester City very nearly looked like they were not going to get a result against Leicester. Leicester holding out until the 82nd minute and up. Pops, none other than Lauren Hemp and Chloe and Kelly, who 
I mean, who else at this stage, Karen? <laughs> I feel like every time we talk about whenever Man City needs someone to come to their rescue, it tends to be those names, unless Bunny Shaw has already fired in a hat trick or something. Yeah, I and I just love watching them play. And I think that they may be the type of player that um, Arsenal are missing, that have they'll have that bit of guile and skill and they're more direct and aggressive um, as opposed to being nicey-nicey players. Like, to have the audacity to attempt the finish that Lauren Hemp went for in the 82nd minute um, when you were really needed to win that game because, you know, obviously Arsenal dropping points and trying to keep toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe with Chelsea. Um, yeah, I think that was the difference. Man City don't have stopped kind of panicking when teams frustrate them. Um, and I think they've become really, really consistent. And we, they, we did, they didn't have that start of last season and it cost them. But towards the end of last season, they were really, really good. And they've just held that consistency now. And it's because of Hemp and Kelly, you know, always popping up with something like, and Bunny Shaw, you know, they just have really consistent performers um, and they're really good to watch. And it's been a while since we saw Leicester really hold out in the way that they did. And again, there's a lot of positives for them to take from it. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. And then Chloe Kelly got, got one straight from a corner. We lived off that for the whole summer when Katie McCabe did it. So got to give her a bit of praise for it. It was a nice reminder of happier times. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Rachel, holdout is probably very much the word to describe Leicester. I mean, you look, City had 16 shots, nine on target. Leicester had one, zero on target. But it, they were in it until that very end of the match, even if it didn't look like they were necessarily going to get a, a dramatic winner. Yeah, which was a little bit disappointing because in the reverse fixture, Man City won 1-0. And... Leicester played a high-risk, high-reward type of football. They went really, really narrow. Um, and, you know, Man City were sometimes catching them over the top, but actually they so could have gotten a point out of that game, if not more. Like, they had more shots on target. It was a, it was a more exciting game. And I don't know whether he overthought it or thought, I don't know. You know, I think we kind of saw it a little bit with Liverpool when they played Arsenal the other week, where they just didn't do what they did in the first leg and almost kind of just tried to hold out and sit back and maybe catch them on the counter and yeah I think having seen the first the reverse leg of the Man City Leicester game I maybe expected a little bit more from Leicester but not to be not to be unfortunately um, and then we had a bit of controversy in Chelsea's 3-0 win over Everton which sounds like quite a comprehensive showing by Chelsea it's probably a little unfair to Everton in terms of a scoreline and how they actually played Um. Karen, bit of talk about refereeing around this one, but I suppose Chelsea also just showing that they are the champions for a reason and they're good at getting these results no matter what. Yeah, in terms of the penalties, I didn't know how I felt about either of them, really. Um, when you slow down the first one, the follow through is is horrendous and everything looks worse slow, slowed down. Um but the penalty, a penalty possibly could have been given a couple of That's, seconds earlier, you know, for for the ball that nearly yeah. lost. Them. I saw a few people saying that like they're the sort of ones that when you get them given to you, you're like, yeah, I'll take that. And when they go against you, you're absolutely raging, and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah, I guess it was an honest effort, but it looked horrendous. Um, but the second one, 
she was dragging out of Ramirez for a long time, but Ramirez was clever, got herself in the box. And that angle is actually very difficult for um, a referee to make it not look like it was um, it was a penalty. So I know there was questions over both of them, but I think the second one was probably fair enough. There wasn't as many remonstrations from Everton at that time. Um, I think they were wrecked from trying to stop Ramirez at that time as well. And then the third goal was a fantastic team goal. And it was a very Chelsea goal, I would say, in that it came from really high intensity pressing from the front players. Um, and yeah, it was just lovely build-up play and a really, really good finish by by Aaron Cuthbert. I, I feel a bit like Chelsea were always going to win this game, mm. but they don't need help is the way I looked at it. When I, you know, with the, with the first penalty, it was a bit like, I don't know what else she could have done to avoid that and the cut and it's horrible because it studs into the yeah. ankle but the reason it was there was because when she cleared the ball it was Johanna Wright and Canard's movement that effectively brought her into that situation do you know what I mean so I felt really bad for her um, and then I'm pretty sure the ref booked the wrong player um, because it was Wheeler who did it but I think she booked Payne and then she booked Brosnan as well the Ramirez one really frustrates me because she's going around absolutely bodying everyone off the ball outside of the opposition box as soon as she gets in the opposition box you'd blow on her, she falls over. So I was that end watching her come towards me. And like, I was like, oh my God, you absolutely bought yourself that penalty because you looked for the contact. But equally, Wheeler, you go down in a box, you're not, you're given the referee, referee a decision to make. And I think I really felt for her because, you know, potentially had there been VAR, whether that would have been turned over or not, I don't know. But it, it, it it didn't look great from Ramirez because she absolutely flopped. Um, but yeah, Wheeler had a bit of a horrendous night. Yeah, as your teammate, you're delighted with Ramirez there, though. They all oh, they were. Oh my god, the high fives and the like. All the I swear she'd scored like, but uh, yeah, I can understand why Everton were a little bit frustrated because they definitely, I feel like confused Chelsea in the first half because Chelsea were trying to figure out what the hell they were coming up against because I think they had about two recognizable defenders on the pitch. Everton, they had um, Hannah Benison at like right wing back and Aurora Gallia left wing back. You know, there's players in quite unusual positions where you're like, what are you doing there? So I think it took Chelsea a little while to figure them out. Um, and I think Chelsea were kind of forcing it a little bit. But then come the second half, like they stepped it up another gear. Away they went. Happy as Larry. Those, they sit pretty at the top of the Premier League table or not the Premier League, the women's WSL table. Um, quick one. Finally, just a word for Bristol City rescuing that point in a game where, I mean, they thought the shots in the City game were mad. 36 shots for Aston Villa, 14 on target, four for Bristol, three on target. Point. Any points at the moment for them, Rachel, really, really important with where yeah. they are in the table. Um, and also just for their mentality. I mean, Aston Villa, we've seen them do some weird things this season that no one expected from them, but Bristol won't care. Any sort of points that they get at this stage is going to be counted as a positive, you'd imagine. Yeah, no, I was worried about Aston Villa because obviously losing Laura Benkilda Brown to Man City on like deadline day and Lucy Staniforth being ruled out for the rest of the season. I was worried about them and actually they played some really good football um, which is surprising then that they came out with the draw but Bristol have like a serious determined doggedness about them you know they have so much experience in this league coming back from being a goal down or two goals down um, the fact they managed to hold on and get a point out of it is massive Lauren Smith has said every game's a cup game they basically got when then they lost the West Ham game they were like we've got 10 cup games and it felt like that like the stress in the last 
90 seconds and I'm not like particularly partial to either team but like the stress in the last 90 seconds there was a melee in the box there was a definite handball uh, from Brooke Aspen as well I was but, so convinced that someone's heart was going to be broken oh my god uh, Shay Inez was unbelievable in goal for Bristol so those kind of games will be massive for them we talked I know in other podcasts and stuff we've talked a lot about Bristol's performances and how at times they've played well and they've done things well it doesn't matter anymore they'll just play it doesn't matter it's not going to be pretty football you know if they have to throw themselves on the on the goal line they'll do it and I think they're more than ready to do it for the next nine games and they have no cup games to worry about because they've not progressed in any of the cups <laughs> so maybe that's a blessing in disguise yeah, maybe it is. Maybe that's exactly what they need to focus and, you know, push on. And as we've seen, one or two bad injuries to any of those other teams that are down there with them, that could be all it takes for Bristol to go on a bit of a run and all of a sudden they're not in the relegation zone anymore. I kind of feel like in my head, I know they're the other underdogs of the season, but everything that they've done with like some of the best turnouts in Europe and just like the general spirit of the team, I really, really want them to stay up. Saying that I don't know who I want to go down, but I just feel like they've brought a lot to the league so far and I, I would be 100%. sad to see them go. Um, And then just like to quickly run through what the other results were that we sadly don't have time to get to. We also had Liverpool won. Tottenham won in a game that I think both sides seemed, from what they were saying post-match, quite relieved to come out the other side of not totally destroying. Um, Karen, are you waving at me there or are you just gently? Yeah, I just, uh, I think Liverpool, I, Matt Beard was was disappointed, um, I think, in his post-match. But I think a point after some of the results they've had recently, is it's, it's a bit steady in for them as, as well. So, um, and I, Again, Tottenham have been scoring goals for fun. They've been conceding them for fun as well. But um, I think to only concede one against that that Tottenham team and to come show the resilience that they did, I think it's a better result for Liverpool than Tottenham. I think Liverpool and Tottenham just want to be best days in the league because it was 1-1 in the first match. It was 1-1 in the second match. They're on the same point still. I think similar kind of journeys, the two teams... Both have had some big scalps early on, you know, knocking on the door of trying to get into top five and you just can't separate them right now. Mm. Yeah. And also two teams that can often go on a run and you think, oh, this is finally the year that they've kind of got themselves together and we're going to see it. And then it either disappears or it happens towards (laughs) the end of the season. Yeah. Well, we shall see what happens. Rachel, as you said, there's lots of cup games coming up. We have Conti Cup midweek and then we have the FA Cup this weekend. And then next weekend in the WSL, we have the Kathleen and Karen Derby with Arsenal facing off against Man United. And then the big one. Chelsea and City which is going to be very very interesting mm-hmm. can't wait to see that Rachel which are you heading to or how many are you heading to over the next coming week um, I think London City Lionesses versus Arsenal tomorrow and then I'm going to do the Leicester game the Spurs game on Saturday and then the Arsenal Man City game on Sunday very good well we look forward to seeing all your coverage if people want to find you where can they go we're at Girls in the Ball on all of the social media platforms Great stuff. Karen, thank you as always. Hope you don't have too big a head after spending the day hobnobbing with the president and I hope training goes well over the next while um, in the lead up to that. All injury free and running smoothly. Um, Just a quick reminder as well, as we said on the podcast last week, 
the Irish Women's National Team Supporters Club are still looking for members. So those uh, are open until the 23rd of February. You can register your interest via a link on their Instagram page at IrelandWNTSC. And they're working with the FAI on this. There's loads of great perks to come if you do want to sign up. So do definitely express your interest. Uh, I was chatting to them last week and there's actually been an insanely big response to this. So if you do sign up, you're going to have lots of new buddies for any and all matches, which will be very good for the Wales game in Tala and whatever is to come for the rest of the year. The Koi Gig Pod and Off the Ball is sponsored by Cabri, official snack partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We will see you all next week. The Koi Gig Pod on Off the Ball in association with Cadbury, official snack partner of the Republic of Ireland women's national team.